Today's podcast is brought to you by Liquid IV. This is a partnership I'm thrilled to share with you guys. The subject of hydration is a meaningful and important one that I think a lot of people don't have the conversation. It's just simply a fact that you cannot perform at your highest level if you are dehydrated, especially in these crucial summer months of training for cross country being hydrated is a must. Despite the myth floating around, water alone does not keep you hydrated. It's very important to supplement with products like Liquid IV to ensure you're ready to go for training. So why might you ask, should I choose Liquid IV? Well, I have a few facts for you. It has two to three times more hydration than water alone. It contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. And it has three times the amount of electrolytes compared to traditional sports drinks, which is just incredible. And then also Liquid IV uses only premium ingredients. Every product is non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. One crazy fact that I feel like a lot of people don't realize is that dehydration occurs daily in 75% of people. It's not just runners where dehydration happens. It's in everybody and you need to be hydrated to feel your best and perform your best. And you can start to fix that problem by fueling up with Liquid IV. Don't wait, you can start to run faster and feel better today. So maybe you're not convinced yet. <laughs> you can get 25% off of all products with code the running effect, all caps. In addition to this, we get a small commission from sales using that code. So you are directly contributing to the future of this podcast, which is super exciting. I'm super passionate about this product and hope you will all give it a try and help the podcast in the process. So I hope you all try out Liquid IV. It's definitely helped me in my training and staying hydrated. And even in these podcasts, it's uh, one of my favorite beverages to drink while I uh, ask the questions on the other side of the mic. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Stoke Performance Nut Butter. This is a company that provides a world-class product and owners Wilkerson and James are truly incredible people who have made an even more incredible product. Stoke Performance Nut Butter uses only the cleanest ingredients so you can be performing and feeling your best every single day. Every ingredient in the nut butter has a purpose and reason behind why it's in the product, which personally was super impactful for me because normally when you try out most nut uh, butters or peanut butters and you look at the ingredients there's always one or two sketchy ingredients that makes you scratch your head and wonder man I wish there was a better product out there that only used clean ingredients and Stoke Performance Nut Butter filled that hole and I'm so excited to start using this product. Some key nutrients in Stoke Performance Nut Butter include B vitamins to support energy production and blood health, curcumin to support cardiovascular health, increased brain-derived neurotropic factor and muscle recovery, selenium to support proper thyroid function and energy metabolism, copper and iron to support blood health, zinc to support immune function, magnesium to support muscle function and recovery, and polyphenol phenols to support anti-inflammatory effects again like truly uses the best ingredients and nutrients to make you feel your best self going into your run or workout 
This product is also super delicious and comes in very fun and unique flavors such as cinnamon pecan fuel and dark chocolate hazelnut fuel. When I first started doing research on this product, I was immediately blown away and quite honestly in disbelief that such a high quality product existed. Not only that was super, super healthy and clean, but also one that tasted super, super delicious. So you can get 10% off all products with code the running effect. In addition to this, we get a small commission from sales using that code, so you are directly contributing to the future of this podcast, which is super exciting. I'm super passionate about this product and hope you will all give it a try and help the podcast out in the process. So go on over to stokeperformance.com to check out their amazing and incredible products today and use our code to help support the show. Welcome to this week's episode of The Running Effect with Dominic Schleter. I'm your host, Dominic. And before we get into today's inspiring and impactful conversation of the show, I would greatly appreciate it if you liked, subscribed, shared the show with your friends, and even gave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That way we can reach a new group of listeners and hopefully inspire and help them along the way. So in today's episode of the podcast, I have the great privilege of speaking with Josh Hawley. Josh is currently the CFO at Bear Performance Nutrition and the founder of a company called Breaker & Co. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Josh is also an accomplished runner. He ran 250 in the marathon earlier this spring at the prestigious Boston Marathon and overall just an extremely successful individual as you'll hear all about in this upcoming episode. So in today's episode, Josh and I discuss many different topics which include delayed versus instant gratification, Josh's running story as a whole, the importance of having a strong team and uh, surrounding yourself with good and positive people, attributes that he thinks makes up a successful team and company, and so, so much more. This conversation was a really fun one, impactful one, inspiring one, and thoughtful one. I definitely took uh, things away from this conversation, and overall, it was just a, a fun, free-flowing, light conversation with Josh, and uh, yeah, just special thanks to Josh for having this conversation with me and taking time out of his extraordinarily busy life to share some wisdom with all of us and anyone who listens to the podcast. So really not too big of an introduction needed for today's episode. It's just a really interesting, uh, inspiring conversation that is fun to uh, listen to, and I enjoyed listening back on it when I was editing the show as well. So without further ado, here's my amazing conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Josh Hawley. Josh, welcome to the Running Effect podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great, man. Appreciate you having me. So my first question for you is, as I'm sure we'll get into, you have a very busy life. You have many different tasks on your hand every single day. So I'm curious to hear, what does a normal day in the life look like for you? Well, you're asking me that at a time I have a three-week-old son and a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. So like every day is a little bit different. But like if I get like the amount of sleep that I hope for, um, I'm typically waking up around like, you know, 4.45, 5 o'clock. Um, I go for a run from like 5.30 to 6.30. I got to be showered and ready to take care of the the toddler around like 7 a.m. Drop her at school at 8.30 a.m. I'm typically driving into like VPN where I'm currently, you know, doing a lot of work. Uh, company I'm currently doing a lot of work for. Um, and then it's just sort of like nonstop, you know, phone calls and meetings from like 9 a.m. through like, you know, 5 p.m. I rush home to pick up the toddler from daycare, you know, go home, dinner, you know, uh, 
get the toddler to bed around 7.38 and I'm sitting back down at the laptop to work till, you know, 10, 11 p.m., depending on, you know, the, the situation and then rinse, repeat, man, it's a grind for sure. So I wake up early as well, but I was never expecting you to hear 4.45. So that's pretty insane. And I think a lot of people say they can't be morning people or they can't wake up early. So what would you say to those people who have a hard time waking up early? And what are some of the benefits you would say from getting up that early? It sucks right when you get up. Like there's, I'm a morning person and it is so hard to do that. But it's funny, Nick, so Nick Bear, the, the founder of, you know, BPN, who I work with now, um, just kind of had a, had a good quote that's kind of been circulating, which is if it, if it matters to you, you'll make time. And so honestly, like if I want to keep running and I want to stay active, like my only option literally is that sort of 5.30 a.m. to 6.30 a.m. window. So like I sort of have the benefit, if that makes sense, of like I don't have any other options. So it kind of forces me to either do it then or not do it. And I've just, I'm so like, and I know we'll get into this. I'm sure there's a running podcast. Like I'm just so like addicted and, and, and in love with running that, you know, it's, if it's, if it's that simple of a decision, like it's either a 5:30 m run or you don't get it in, then that's a pretty easy thing for me to wake up for. So you mentioned you have a three week year old son. So first off, congratulations. That is so amazing. Thanks. But I'm curious to hear, what are the biggest lessons you've learned from being a father? Oh, man. Um, I I used to – I think the biggest uh, lesson is like I care less about things that I used to care a lot about and, and specifically like things that are superficial or you worry about what people think about you or, you know, how you're perceived in your career track and how you're, how you're comping or how you're tracking relative to like people you graduated with in terms of like the money you're making or the, the relative success that you might've had. Like I, I care so much less about that stuff now that I have kids. Cause it's like, I, I just don't have time energy. And I just, all I really care about is like my wife and my kids. Like it just like totally shifts your, priorities and not necessarily how you prioritize your time because it absolutely rocks your world from like a time management standpoint but the stuff i used to worry about in hindsight just seems so uh unnecessary and superficial when you're talking about you know raising another human being so i i am you know the biggest lesson was just like don't worry about the stuff that other people, you know, think and how they perceive you. Cause like, there are so much more important things in the world as like high level and cheesy as that sounds like that, that was definitely a big shift in my mindset, you know, post kids. Yeah. There's this amazing quote that I love and it's comparison is the thief of joy, which you're kind of touching on with what totally. you were just talking about. Can you touch on the importance for you of like staying present, focused, present minded and focusing on your life and, and not what others are living? Cause you have a completely different life. I, I have such like, I'm a very like driven, very focused, like I have very specific, you know, career goals that I want to set out and go achieve. So like day to day, I'm so head down and so focused on what I'm trying to do. Like, I don't think of my job or my career as like a nine to five, like my hobby and my passion for the most part outside of running is my career. Like, that's just the way that I kind of think about it. Um, and I think I'm a good indication of like, if you kind of put your energy and effort into something that you love, ultimately you will you know, find success. So I just don't have like day to day, like I'm so focused on what I'm doing. I don't have the time and energy to worry about, you know, what others are, are doing or, or saying. And certainly like the older I've gotten, that's become more and more true. And as I said before, like the kids, you know, really kind of, you know, change that in a great way. So being present though is very tough, I will say, because like when you do 
pour so much energy and effort into whether it's running or my professional career. Like when I walk in the door at, you know, at night after a tough, you know, day of going from 4:30 AM to, you know, 5:30 PM, like shifting, I call it like shifting tracks. Like you imagine like taking a, a massive freight train and trying to pick it up and move it off of one train track and put it on another. And you got to do it like instantly when you walk in the door, that is pretty tough. And I've had to really kind of focus on, you know, putting the phone away and, you know, um, not feeling as obligated to respond so quickly to calls and emails that are work related when it's like family time. Um, I definitely struggle with that to this day, but it's something I've had to, you know, really kind of focus on. Cause those two things sort of like, you know, they're, they're a bit contradictory. The idea of being like all in and so focused on your career, you know, can conflict with trying to be present, you know, during family time with your wife and kids in the evening or the morning. So it's definitely a, it's an ongoing uh, struggle and journey for me, for sure. So out of curiosity of, I'm sure listeners are curious as well, after hearing your daily schedule and, and how intentional you are with your time, how do you balance your training with work and family life? I know you kind of lined out your day-to-day life, which kind of does that, but can you dive deeper into how you manage these three different aspects of your life? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, especially if, if you have a spouse or significant other, is like being proactive and consistent in your training regimens. Like my wife is super supportive. She knows that most weekdays I'm going to run from 4.30, you know, 5.30 a.m. to 6.30 a.m. roughly, depending on how long the run is, sometimes longer when I'm in marathon prep. But um, but I, I will tell her, look, I'm, I will, you know, our toddler typically wakes up at 7 a.m. I was like, I'll be showered and ready and I'll take care of her when she wakes up. And then Saturday mornings I go on like my long runs, right? Like during marathon prep, it's, you know, whatever it is, 15, 16, 18 miles. But now when I'm sort of like off, you know, training cycle, it's, you know, it's a 10 mile easy run on Saturday mornings. And I have done that for as long as we've been together. Um, and so I think setting that sort of regimented schedule and being predictable, um, I think you're sort of, it's almost a necessity. Like if you want to balance all this stuff, you can't go into every day and be like, all right, I think today I'm going to run it two o'clock or run at lunchtime. Like it just doesn't work. So like the biggest thing with that is like being very consistent and being like transparent with your significant other is to like hear is when I'm going to go do things that may pull me away from, you know, helping at, at the house. But when I am here, like I'm all in on helping with whatever you need, you know? And so that, that's been a big benefit for us. And, and frankly, just like if you're, if you're in an early relationship, like setting the expectation, like here are the things that are important to me. Like as long as I've been with my wife, you know, married six, seven years, whatever it is, and, you know, dated for 10 plus before, um, she's known like fitness and running has always been like a big part of my life. And so I set that expectation early in the relationship to like, that was not something I was going to sacrifice. And she's been super, super supportive of that. But I've had to fit that into like, you know, narrower and narrower windows of, of my time as we've gotten, you know, further along in our marriage and, and with kids. So just being predictable and, and you know, uh, setting expectations with the significant other is probably the biggest, like practical advice. So, of course, this varies greatly depending on who is listening to this, because if you're a married person, uh, it's way different than if you're a high schooler. High schoolers have Mm -hmm. a lot more time to screw around and and mess on their phones, whereas someone like yourself, you need to be super regimented with your schedule to make sure you fit in all the necessary components of your day-to-day life. So I'm sure your answer varies a little bit depending on the audience, but I'm curious, what would be some advice of yours to someone who struggles with time management? 
I think the people that um, can figure out how to allocate free time towards something that might benefit them, you know, later in life, those, those folks, like you're, you're a perfect example, uh, but those folks are going to set themselves up. And the, the, the challenge is like, if you're, if you start setting aside time and trying to be better with your time as a, as a, as a young person, there is no instant gratification to that. I'm just going to tell you right now. Um, it is like the biggest thing that I could like say to like, you know, younger people is like patience and playing the long game is like the golden piece of advice. And so you just have to sort of, you know, force yourself to believe that if I start setting aside time today, that is not purely leisure, but it's setting, you know, putting time into a podcast or, you know, reading more or whatever, that it's going to benefit me, not tomorrow, not a week from now, but it, it may be, you know, a year or two down the road, but it's, it has this compounding effect over time that if you can just slowly start to allocate a little bit of that free time towards something more productive that, you know, you're not forced to do, it's something outside of your, you know, re, you know, required homework or required, you know, exercises for, for school or, or athletics. It's that third category of like, what else do I want to be and what else do I want to do in life? Like the sooner you can start kind of allocating that time. But like the only way you're going to find motivation to do that is to believe that like over the long haul, that's going to pay off. If you're looking for instant gratification, you're going to get burnout on, you know, allocating an hour here or there to something different, you know, pretty quickly. Right. It's the whole idea of delayed gratification, I think is kind of what you're getting at. And yeah, 100%. all the, all the most satisfying things in life take time. Like, you know, su success in a word, it, it's not, it's not going to be satisfactory if it didn't, if it wasn't a hard journey to get there. And, you know, um, all the, all the biggest achievements in my life, and I'm sure you could speak to the same, they took, you know, at, at some points, I'm sure years to get to, um, I'm sure graduating college was a point for you where there, you, you found great joy and pride in, in graduating from college. That takes four years, right? It's delayed gratification of those late nights of staying up and studying to get good grades. While in the moment, it might seem like, uh, you know, I don't have to do this right now. Over time, that delayed gratification pays off. Yeah. And even college is like, it, it's a good example, but it's also like, I think today it's sort of like the expectation that you're going to go to college and you're going to graduate for most people anyway. Um, even there, there's sort of this, you know, external pressure to like go to class and to get good grades and, you know, but the things where there is like literally no external pressure to go do it, you're literally just like finding time to invest in building a podcast or, you know, learn about, finance or whatever on your own time like that if you want to separate yourself from your peers today and set yourself on a different trajectory like those are the things that are completely unrequired of you that are going to set you apart you know three four five years from now right totally there's this quote i love it's from my favorite book all time it's uh from james clear he wrote a book called atomic habits and one of my favorite ideas and quotes from it that i kind of thing touches on what we're talking about and those those small decisions that don't seem like they matter in the moment, but over time that delayed gratification pays off. The quote is, imagine you are flying from Los Angeles to New York City. If a pilot leaving from LAX adjusts the heading just 3.5 degrees south, you'll land in Washington, D.C. instead of New York. Such a small change is barely noticeable at takeoff. The nose of the airplane moves just a few feet. But one managed to cross the entire United States, you end up hundreds of miles apart. Similarly, a slight change in your daily habits can guide your life to a very different destination. Making a choice that is 1% better, 1% 
uh, 1% better or seems insignificant at the moment. But over the span of moments that make up a lifetime, these choices determine the difference between who you are and who you could be. Success is a product of daily habits, not once-in-a-lifetime transformations. End quote. So I know that's a bit different on what we were talking about, but I thought I'd pull up that quote because it, it is kind of similar to what we've been talking about. And it is so true that like those things in the moment that seem insignificant, if you do them repeatedly over a, an extended period of time, they really do pay off at the end of the day. And you're you are a better version of yourself for choosing to do those things. It's exactly the right quote. And I guess like kind of back to your like what advice like it doesn't need to be three hours a day. Like even if you just train yourself to spend 30 minutes a day on something that's not required of you, it's not homework. It's not something someone's expecting you to do. It's not part of your athletic, you know, training or whatever. Uh, when I say athletic training, like if you're on a team in high school or, you know, college, there's some level of requirement there that doesn't really count. This is stuff that like no one is asking you to do, even if it's just 30 minutes, you know, it doesn't have to be three hours, just get in that habit like as soon as possible. And, you know, it doesn't have to have to be this massive like thing that you commit to that seems intimidating. And all the best runners I know, at least personally, are the ones that do those little things that normally go unnoticed and, and they don't notice a big change at first. But over time, when you do those things, it does make a big difference, whether that's nutrition, you know, choosing to eat nutritious meals or getting that extra hour of sleep or two every week or doing the little things like foam rolling before bed. Those insignificant things in the moment pay off big time. So, yeah, I love this discussion so far, kind of taking it back to your your daily routine. I'm really fascinated by how early you wake up because I really admire it, 445. <laughs> uh, so Nick Bear talks about this. I think he's talked about it recently. The idea of like winning the day starts with like the first hour of your day. or um, The idea is something similar to that. I hope I'm not butchering it. So what are your thoughts mm -hmm. on like making sure that first hour of your day is productive? I know you go out for that hour run normally, which is a, a very productive outlet. So what are your thoughts on, on winning the day and waking up early? Because I think even Nick said this. I don't want to put words in his mouth if I'm getting this wrong, but like, you know, most people who like sleep until nine and then they eat a crappy meal and scroll on their phone. Like you're not, you're not setting yourself up for success if you're doing that. So speak to that a little bit if you might. Yeah. And part of this is just like my, you know, addiction and affinity to running. It's like how it's not, I don't feel great when I start a run at five, three in the morning. In fact, I feel like terrible <laughs> and I'm like, just start, start moving your feet, you know, and I trust that by the end of that, you know, six, seven, eight mile run when I'm finished, I'll feel like myself. Um, and so it's that, that feeling immediately after. And I'm like, shit, I've already, sorry, you had a no cursing. Uh, no, you're <laughs> good. As long as it's not the F word, you're yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've already, we're 10 minutes in, I've already violated it. Um, <laughs> I'm like, dang, I just finished a, you know, something, you know, very productive that most people don't do in a, in an entire day. And it's only, it's only six 30. Like I already have this huge head start on everybody else, like everyone else that doesn't want to, you know, that is working a nine to five or doesn't have this motivation or aspiration to be, you know, immensely successful in their career. I'm like, I've already got a head start. And so that gives me like a catapult throughout the, the rest of the day. And not to go back to what you're talking about before, but like when you start doing things that aren't required of you and you do them for yourself and you do them because you want to separate yourself from your peers, that has a compounding effect, not only like within the day itself, but just like in general in your career. And so it puts me in that right mindset of like, all right, I've already accomplished something that most people don't do. Um, and now I got to go out and just capitalize on that. Um, and it just gives me the right amount of energy and the right, you know, mindset to go tackle the rest of the day. But I, I am just, you know, I'm fortunate that it's sort of like 
embedded in my DNA. I think I, I, and I, you know, as I get older, I appreciate more of like maybe some, some nature versus nurture here. But like, I think I was fortunate to have in my DNA, like I'm just so hungry to, you know, separate myself from my peers or, or be perceived as having a successful career. And so I know that like every hour of the day, I've got to be doing something because other people are that I'm like competing with necessarily right. or, you know, other people, you, you know, so like, that's just like, I don't, there's never a time where I'm sitting still throughout the day because I know like, man, I could be doing something that will benefit me, you know, a year or two down the road. So I, it's not this like necess- it's not something like every day that I say to myself, like, I got to go win this day, but there is like, you get it, you can get yourself into this habit of like, you know, every you know every hour of the day making sure that you're doing something that you know two three years from now you'll appreciate nick's a perfect example i mean that guy like for those that don't you know see the inner workings like he works harder than anybody in this bill i'm literally sitting in the buildings like in this building um he is here every day never takes a day off like the guy is up as early as i am he has a young kid now too um so it's just like training and it doesn't come you know instantly like i said like i've kind of learn to do this over time. Um, but just being like, just being aware that like, if you want to separate yourself, there are other people who are willing to work during this hour where you may want to like slack off and, you know, do something unproductive. And that just always kind of weighs on my mind throughout the day. Yeah, I relate to this so much, uh, specifically, like in my own life, I've, I've had, I have that discussion with myself daily, like, how am I separating myself from others? And for me, right. two years ago, that was starting a podcast, actually, which is kind of how that was one of the, the reasons I wanted to do something different. And I think, unfortunately, I know the circles you're in and that I'm in, we, we're around successful people pretty constantly. Um, and that's a choice to surround ourselves with those people. But I know in culture, you know, we have 7 billion people living the same lives, wearing the same clothes, doing the same daily routine that isn't productive. And uh, I think it's so important to separate yourself from others and do unique things. And the thought definitely crosses my mind every day. Like every hour we spend is an hour we'll never get back. You know, we only have so much time on this earth, so might as well maximize it to the best of our abilities and use that time for good to better ourselves and to hopefully help others in the process. Um, not Not to keep pulling quotes out of my left pocket here, but there's another quote I love. Um, and it's from a previous guest, Emily Cole. She was quoting Pablo Picasso, and he said, only put off until tomorrow what you're willing to die having left undone, which I think is super impactful because a lot of people, I feel like in today's world, specifically teenagers, act as if they're going to live forever and the choices they make today won't actually impact them down the road. But I think it's super important to keep in mind that the decisions and actions we make every single day shape who we want to become. And using another like um, idea from James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits, who I first quoted, um, I think he has a saying where it's like every action you take is a vote for the person who you wish to become, um, which is really impactful when you think about it. Like every single action you take is a vote for the person who you want to become. If you if you do that 10 mile run every day, you're voting to become a successful and better runner. Um, you know, so I, I think, uh, yeah, all this discussion is really good, but I think it's super important to have that discussion with yourself as you're kind of talking about, about, you know, separating yourself from others. And I know it can be unhealthy when it turns into comparison, but really focusing on, you know, how can I become better today? And through that, that is how you separate yourself from others and, and become a more successful version of yourself. Yeah. And I think good, good advice for like, you know, younger people as you're sort of, you know, this comparison idea is really kind of poisonous. Um, 
people will kind of find their moments at different points in their career. Like, like people that have just graduated, you know, college in particular, it's or about to graduate. It's very easy to compare like who got the better job and who got the better, you know, starting salary. Um, but over time, like the cream will, will rise to the top. Like I got a very slow start out of undergrad. I didn't go down the route that I'd kind of planned to. Um, but I found opportunities, you know, later in my career to kind of separate myself. So to the extent you feel like you're, you, you, let's say you have the drive and the sort of the mindset to where you want to, you know, separate yourself or, or kind of distance yourself from your peers and it hasn't happened yet, like just give it time. Like just having that mindset alone gives you a huge advantage. Um, and it may be, you may be 30, 31, 32 or later before you find your moment and find your opportunity to sort of catapult. It's like a series of, it's no different than running, right? There's like a series of plateaus in your career. Um, and each time you kind of step up, it may be like marginal. And then all of a sudden there may be like a big step up, like really quickly. Um, and up until that point, you may have felt like you were sort of falling behind, you know, other folks in your kind of peer set, but um, just, just hang in there. People have their kind of breakout moments at, you know, very different points in their career. There is no black and white linear approach to, you know, your career or, you know, training and running for that matter. So I feel like this conversation has been super incredible so far. We're like 22 minutes into this thing and there's a lot of good discussion going on, but I'd love to touch on your personal running story. So first question I have for you, taking it all the way back, how did you get your start in the sport of running? And in addition to that, what were your first impressions of the sport? Yeah. And I, I think I mentioned this to you in like one of our early like messages back and forth. Like I, I, you, you have some like legit runners on your podcast. Most of them are like, you know, cross country or track and in college, I am definitely not that. So I'm, I'm aware of that before I kind of tell you my story. Um, I was hoping to hear your 350 miler, Josh, come on. I wish, man. Three, you know, maybe maybe like a two fifty eight hundred. <laughs> um, no, but but um, I so, so I played college all or sorry, I played soccer all growing up, um, and so running was sort of like a not not a punishment, but it was just sort of something you did to be like you know better at soccer. Um, and then I got a uh, a scholarship to play at a small D one school in college, and before you showed up to um, you know the training camp in August, you had to run seven miles in 49 minutes. So seven minutes per mile, seven miles. And up to that point, I had never done any form of like distance. I didn't run cross country in high school. I had never done any kind of structured, like timed mileage running, right? It was all fitness related to soccer. So that was the very first time that I had like a timed goal, relatively decent amount of distance that I had to go train for. And this is like 2000, um, so been like 2004 uh, to date me a little bit, but so it wasn't like, you know, Garmin and Apple watch. There was none of that. And so there was like a, a track, this like long trail around a uh, community college in Mesquite, Texas, where I grew up. Um, and I think like a mile, 1.3 miles or something like that. And so I would just take like a stopwatch and like start it and I would go run laps and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and looking back, I probably could have trained a lot smarter to get to that, that goal a lot quicker, but basically I would go out and like, I ran three miles one day and then try to run four the next, like the most like rudimentary mistakes you can make is like a, an early runner. But I very quickly got like super interested in like measuring progress and like seeing progress over time. Cause obviously when you first start getting into running like that, you can make progress pretty quickly, right? It's like kind of fool's gold a little bit. But I got kind of hooked on that. I got hooked on measuring my paces and hooked on like seeing if I could get better. And lo and behold, I ended up figuring out how to run, you know, seven, seven minute miles for seven miles, which now seems easy to me. But like at the time, 
that was like this unachievable thing. And I ended up hitting it when I got to training camp. And since then, since that point, I'd always kind of like been interested in, in like getting back into distance running. It took me a while. I went through like post-college, I went through like a triathlon, you know, uh, period, um, where I was trying to just like find variety because I, I miss soccer so much and it's hard to find that, you know, competitive outlet post, post, you know, uh, college graduation. Um, but then throughout like the triathlon training, I started to really kind of get interested, you know, more and more in running. And I was like, I, I, I hate swimming. I'm okay on the bike. I actually think I could be decent at running. And then like about three or four years ago, I was on the track in Austin. Uh, Austin High is a big running community here. Um, and there was this guy out there coaching named Jeff Cunningham. Um, and if you follow BPN, you probably know Jeff. And I had no idea who he was. And I just walked up to him on the track and I'm like, Hey, I'm putting all this time into my running. I want to get better, but I don't really know what I'm doing. If I'm being honest, you know, it looks like you're a coach. Like, would you be interested in helping me? I had no idea, Dom at the time, like he coaches, like, you know, folks that are trying to, you know, be Olympic qualifying marathon runners, like really, really good, really, really fast runners. I would have never walked up to him on the track had I known who he was. Um, and he was so nice and he, I, you know, in, in hindsight, looking back, I, I, now that I know him, I'm sure he was like, what the hell is this guy doing? <laughs> Um, cause he could just look at me and tell I wasn't like a, you know, a, a collegiate runner, but he's like, yeah, man, well, you know, let's go grab a cup of coffee and talk about what you're trying to do. And we did. And I said, I want to break three hours in the marathon. This was like 2018 or 19 when I approached him, um, ended up breaking three hours under his kind of guidance, um, at Houston, the Houston marathon in 2020. I, you know, went for a sub 250 at grandma's in June of last year. I missed that. Uh, kind of bonked, you know, chasing sub 250. And then I kind of regrouped and, you know, PR'd in Boston last April, ran right at 250. I was hoping to break 250, but I'd missed it by a few, you know, like 30 seconds or so. Um, but that was sort of like the pinnacle, like all those last last three or four years of running with Jeff and learning how to, you know, slow down to speed up and then 80% of my effort needs to be super slow and long and boring and, you know, methodical. And then those like really spicy important tempo and track workouts that you sprinkle in you know under his guidance was able to i, I was a 320 marathoner before him and then ended up running 250 you know after he coached me for two or three years um definitely want to get back into it i've I've on a little bit of a training you know post boston you know had my second kid so it's trying to keep as as much fitness as i can but no races on the horizon but really just kind of fell in love with all of that fell in love with the measure you know how measurable it was and just like all the stuff we're talking about, like the the overwhelming majority of marathon training is like a seven to nine mile run at much slower pace than you plan on racing at where you get done with the run and you're like, I'm not real certain that did anything. Like, I'm not sure this is like actually moving the needle and you have to learn to like trust the process and put the time in. And that's what I loved about breaking three hours for like an amateur runner like myself is like, there is no shortcut to that. Um, if you didn't grow up running, like the only way to go do that is to like really put your head down, really commit the time, really be disciplined. And so it says something about you. And I really like that, that, that there's this, this kind of physical, you know, measurement that I can go sort of achieve where like, there really is no shortcut to get there. Um, and so, yeah, I mean that, and that's, that's a story of over like 15, 20 years, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at today on, on kind of the distance running.
That's awesome. Yeah, thank you for uh, taking us through that and your journey in the sport. I'm curious to hear, what's it like reflecting back on the progress you've made within the sport from, you know, just training uh, in running for soccer to now being more of a serious runner who's accomplishing and tackling some of these goals and also to have it, you know, be done with such an amazing community as you were kind of talking about in Austin and with some of the BPN people like Jeff. Uh, what's it like to accomplish some of these amazing things and become a better version of yourself? Um, in the process of trying to be a better runner um, along with, yeah, chasing some of these goals? It's kind of crazy. Like, I honestly, when I joined, like, th- a three-hour marathon to me seemed, like, incredibly unattainable, you know, when I started talking with Jeff. But I, I, I just felt like, you know, it was possible. And so it's it's crazy to reflect on it. Like, the last four years, going from, you know, 320 down to 250, um, and even like a, you know, ran an 80 minute half, like that was a big, that one was a big accomplishment for me too. Um, I, it's really kind of wild. I, I definitely couldn't have done it without Jeff. Like he was absolutely instrumental. And then he coaches a group of people, all of which are faster than me. Um, and I think it's, it was so motivating, even, even like most of the women that, that he coaches are significantly faster than me. And I actually trained with like some of his elite women. Um, but just being around that environment, I think it kind of gets back to some stuff you were saying earlier about surrounding yourself with the right people. Like I definitely got hooked on, you know, looking back, um, being around people that were so much better than me. It absolutely drove me. And like when you're in a track workout with, you know, 220 sub 220 marathoners, there's no hiding when they go by you, you know, if we're doing 800 repeats or whatever it is, and they go by you like it is very clear how much quicker they are than you um and so that just motivated me i never i knew i would never be at that level but i was like screw it like i'm just gonna like keep showing up and you know keep chasing these guys and try to close the gap and feed off of that and they're super supportive um and so i i think you know looking back and kind of reflecting on it like that I would have never, even if it was with Jeff and he was just sending me workouts and and all it was is like a virtual training program. I don't think there's any way, maybe I break three, but there's no way I run a 250 without every Wednesday morning being able to show up either on a track or in downtown Austin where we run tempos, like, and having those people around me and having that support group and people that want to see you succeed. Like we're all competitive in that circle, but we also are like equally invested in and interested in, in seeing the other person running next to us do well on race day. Um, and I, de- I definitely fed off that. Like as much as I'm like a, you know, self-motivated in my career, like I'm, I'm, I'm more so a team player and I miss team sports. I'm, you know, it's, I, I think there's, there's no substitute for team sports in high school and college. Like when you get into your career, it just is not the same, but this is the closest thing I could find to it. And I think that played a massive factor in, you know, the, the success, which is all relative, um, that I had in, you know, in Boston this past spring. Yeah. So diving a little deeper into the, the aspect of community and surrounding yourself with good, positive and encouraging people. There's this principle that I at least try to live my life by. And it's, uh, you're the average of the five people who you spend the most time with. It's a pretty common sentiment. Um, and I think it's just, yeah, like who you want to become, you like the people who you want to become, seek those people out and, and pick their brains. And that's what I've certainly done with this podcast. And that's part of kind of what started it was, um, and I'm sure some of our listeners 
listeners know how it started. But for your benefit, Josh, kind of how it started was I started wanting to be good at running and I started trying to seek out those people who were a lot better than myself. And we'd email back and forth and I got pretty good off of, you know, those those people, the advice they gave me and, and the wisdom they gave me. And through that, I thought to myself, wow, there are a lot of people who could probably benefit from this information and benefit from these people and the wisdom that these people give. So um, I think it's so important, like seeking those people out and surrounding yourself with people who are like going to make you a better version of yourself. So long story short, can you kind of speak on and touch on the importance of surrounding yourself with good, uh, good people and people who in some circumstances are better than you? Like, you know, you were talking about getting dragged through workouts by some of the elite women. Why do you think it's important to surround yourself with people who um, are going to make you a better version of yourself and, uh, can be better than you in some scenarios. Yeah, I know we've touched on Nick a lot in this in this podcast, but he 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 often says, you know, you can go fast alone, but you can go far together. And I think I think that's that's totally true. I mean, life and building your career and having a family and all that stuff, it is actually pretty tough. Um, and if you try to go solo, it is it is not easy to do. And you need people around you. Um, and you don't ever want to be the smartest person in the room for too long because then you're not growing. Right. And you never want to be, you know, the fastest individual in your running group necessarily because you know, who's there to push you. And so I'm definitely a big believer in like, um, I will never in my career, no matter how much success I, I hopefully have think that I know it all or that there's not more to learn in the future than I've already learned, you know, to date. I think that's just sort of embedded in my, kind of thought process and the same is true for fitness. Like you can always get better, but have it, you know, continuing to like seek out people that you can learn from and that can teach you is the only way to continue to grow. Otherwise, you know, we talk about series of plateaus in both your career and fitness, like you'll just stay on a plateau for a while, you know, and if you're, you know, egotistical enough to think that you figured it all out, you know, then you're going to reside at that plateau for, for, a, for a much longer period of time than is necessary. If you can release that, that ego, that's one of, the, one of the things I say to like, you know, I'm a finance guy. Um, and so a lot of like, I'll talk to some undergrads that are going into like investment banking. And I'm like, if you can go in there and it's typically when you go into investment banking, like it, that's sort of like a, a career path that sort of attracts egos, just generally speaking. Um, but for young people that go in there, I'm like, if you can go in there and convince yourself that, you know, nothing, nothing, forget what you learned in undergrad, just go in with that attitude of, you know, nothing. And you're there to learn as much as possible. That is, you're going to allow yourself to absorb so much more knowledge, so much more quickly from the people around you that do know a lot more than you do. But if you go in there and you think you've got it all figured out because you came from, you know, um, an Ivy League, not to disparage Ivy League, but like it is going, it's, it's, it's going to be an impediment to your growth. I'm just telling you. And so I think that that mentality of like consistently admitting that you really don't know as much as you think, um, none of us really do, I think opens you up to, um, ironically learning a lot more and, and, and learning more quickly. Um, and that's definitely rooted in, you know, BPNs, you know, DNA here and why I think, you know, I was so attracted to, to coming to work here because that mentality is, is so prevalent with really everyone in this building. So um, I'm curious to hear, what have you learned most about yourself as a person through the process of trying to become your best self within the sport of running? In running in particular, I mean, I, I think that I now feel confident, like 
again, not to go back and repeat too much of this, but like, I know I can like be patient and I know that I can stick with something even when it gets hard. And even when it feels like you're not making any progress that I'm going to, to stick with it and follow through. And the more you continue to kind of check those boxes and get those wins and follow through, then it just kind of whatever thing you're chasing next where you might feel like you're not making progress, it just convinces you more and more to stay with it. Um, and so I'm, I am not like a, uh, an egotistical person, but I also through running and my successes there and in, in my career so far, I'm, I am very confident that I will be successful. And I, I say that like very humbly in the sense that like I've, I've had to go through and work really hard to get to where I am today. Therefore I have the confidence that I, I know I'm going to have the work ethic to, to take on whatever comes next. Um, and then I'm going to see it through. So that, that confidence is not rooted in anything like from an arrogance in any way whatsoever. It's just more of like, I know what I've been through. I know I can stick with it, whether it's, you know, a day, a week, a month, or even a couple of years to drop my marathon time by, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Like I know I'm going to see it through and that, that confidence sort of snowballs. And I just kind of continue to feed on that, you know, both in my, my running and my career for that matter. Yeah, most definitely. So you talked about, um, you know, you, you grew up playing soccer. That was your primary sport. And now uh, running is what's most special to you. So I'm curious to hear from from a unique perspective, because a lot of my guests, you know, started running at some obscure young age, and that's all they've been doing all their life. So I think you're very qualified to speak on this. What do you think makes the sport of running special that that you think makes it stand out apart from other sports that you've tried in the past? I think if you're willing to put the time in, you will reap the benefits. Like golf is a good like antithesis to running. You can go put a lot of time into your golf game and your score might go up. Like that's a very frustrating sport. But like with running, if you're willing to put the time in and you're willing to listen to people that know what they're talking about, you absolutely will see progress. Um, and practically speaking, it's something as opposed to like a triathlon or training for a triathlon where, you know, you can do a lot of damage and see a lot of progress with like an hour a day. You just need a pair of shoes. You can run out the door, you know, and you can go, you know, get fitter. And so there's also a practical side of running that, you know, I really like, but ultimately it's one of those things like it rewards people that you're going to hear a recurring theme in kind of my whole philosophy, but it absolutely rewards people that are patient and that are disciplined that don't need instant gratification that are willing to you know suffer through difficult things for you know ultimately rewarding something on the back end that you're chasing and so i just there's so many parallels for me in running in my professional life and my family for that matter um that really kind of keep me going back and i there's also just like a runner's high you know that i do some of my best thinking don like on my runs like you oh know, yeah i it I, I, I figured this out like several years ago and I've been trying to put it into practice, but like I'll get these ideas on my morning runs that may seem crazy or may seem outlandish when my mind is wandering. And then by like two o'clock that day, I'm like, that's crazy. I'm never going to do that, you know? And so I tried to commit like a few years ago to like whatever I felt in the moment when I had that runner's high and I'm like, okay. And, and typically it's the more aggressive thing. Like if you're at a fork in the road, um, nine times out of 10, if you're trying to sift through it during your run, you're going to land on the more, not the riskier path, but the, like the path that may seem like a little bit more risky or a little bit more aggressive or a little bit more extreme. Like that's where you'll land in that moment of running. And then by your nature, when you're tired at four or five o'clock, that 
just that same day, you may convince yourself that's not the right route. But I have tried to, whatever I feel in that moment is the right route for me, even if it's a bit more risky or seems a bit more extreme, carry that forward into my day, into whatever decisions I have to make. Um, and it has served me so well when I chase those things. I think that's where you like your true, like, what are you really interested in and what do you really want to do with your life? Like those things kind of surface when you're in that, you know, you're an hour into a long run or whatever. And so trusting that gut that surfaces only at that moment when you're in that runner's higher, you're tired and following through with that in your real life has been really, really addicting and really, really beneficial for me. That's so awesome. Uh, that's, that's great to hear. And I completely agree, at least personally, like I agree with you that, you know, you get some wild thoughts when you're out there alone in the morning. And uh, also it's just like kind of, kind of going off subject, but it's kind of like a special feeling. I guess you kind of talked about this, but a special feeling being out in the morning working when you know others are sleeping and kind of like you were talking about getting a head start on the world. But um, going back to what you were just talking about, yeah, it, it is truly a, a unique activity that almost I'd be curious to like see the neuroscience behind it because at least mm-hmm. personally it I feel like it stimulates and creates a lot of a lot of my ideas uh, originate when I'm by myself on those morning miles I think maybe part of it I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it um, it's just like we live in a world of consumption where you're always consuming and you're always on your phone or responding to something or having a conversation with someone or listening to a podcast or music through AirPods. And we're constantly being stimulated in these different ways. And I almost wonder the extent to which the the simple fact of just being out there alone in the quiet, you know, with just your feet hitting the ground, you're almost alone with your thoughts and your thoughts alone. And I almost wonder how much that is just, we don't give ourselves enough time with ourselves. And that's why a lot of the ideas originate from these runs is because that's when we're most with ourselves, if that makes sense. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that, that that's exactly right. Like I, I mean, if you go back to like my, my daily schedule, you can see there is not another five minutes, let alone 75 minutes where I have solitude. And that is the only solitude I get in a given day. Not only that, I get to, you know, you know, be in better shape and break a sweat and all that stuff. But it it is the only, I can't think of another, because I don't sit still well. I'm sure you can kind of tell from just listening, like, there's nothing else where I could go do and be alone for an hour where I wouldn't like five minutes in be like, all right, screw it. Like I've tried to meditate. I've tried to, I just not for me. Um, cause I just cannot, I cannot sit still with my thoughts. And so it gives me a chance to sit, you know, theoretically sit still with my thoughts, even though I'm moving. Um, there's really nothing else that I can think of where I could do that and allow myself an hour to an hour and a half to just think and sift through things and, and, and try to parse through it. Um, I think solitude is like, you know, if it's not 50% of it, it may be, you know, a big chunk of it for me, for sure. So I'm curious, more of a a fun question. So obviously, you got into running uh, a little more of a late start than a lot of people, at least like competitive people. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. um, More of a fun question. There are so many things within the running world that are just interesting or weird quirks, like the idea of stuffing yourself with as many carbs before a race as possible, or, you know, they're just all these funny running things. Were there any things when you got into running that amused you particularly that runners in general do? Um, that's a really good question. I'm trying to put myself back in the shoes of, you know, before I, I knew what I know now. Um, I... I don't know if this is exactly like what you're asking, but it's just sort of in my head. Like when uh, this idea of like having different running shoes for different workouts was so eye-opening to me. 
um, I had like, you know, one, one pair of shoes for, for marathon training. That's just what I thought you did. And like this idea of like having an up-tempo shoe and a, you know, long Saturday distance shoe and a race shoe and a track shoe and like all that stuff was just like, so I thought it was so crazy at the time. I was like, dude, that there's no way that's necessary. <laughs> and within like, you know, two, three months of training with Jeff, I had like four pair of shoes, um, you know, at any given time. So the whole, the whole shoe phenomenon to me and, and distance running, um, was really kind of funny to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm a total sucker for it now. I don't know how much of it is like marketing on Nike's part. They've done a fantastic job. Um, and I'm not, you know, judging it cause I'm now participating in it, but that was really eye opening to me and kind of tells you like my knowledge of running, you know, four years ago when I really kind of got into it. Um, other quirks, I, I don't, yeah, I can't think of anything else. Um, I, I do think it's kind of funny still, like, um, you know, even the guys I train with, they'll go on like long, distance runs on like the weekends right you're talking like 15 16 17 miles and they won't carry any fluids with them because i think i think they think it doesn't look cool but i'm like that that can't be smart to not drink for like because there's only like a couple water fountains on a 17 mile run that you're going to come across um and so like i'll Especially carry something like texas a little- i'm sure it's a, a lot worse totally oh it's 80 degrees at 6 a.m in the morning and you know 70 percent humidity like you sweat when you walk out the door let alone you know, a two hour run. And so that part's always kind of funny to see. I, I feel like they're like too, too cool to like, you know, hydrate on their longer runs or something. So that's kind of a funny like quirk that I pick up on with them. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. The shoe thing is probably the thing that stands out to me the most though. Okay. So before we wrap up this conversation, I definitely want to talk on some BPN talk. Um, you've mentioned it multiple times in this conversation. I probably have as well. Probably mentioned it in the introduction to this podcast. So my first question for you um, is how have you grown as a person since working at the company? And I guess before you answer that, can you kind of give people um, who aren't familiar with the company, what the company is and how you came to work for them? Yeah, so B- BPN or Bear Performance Nutrition, it's a, a performance nutrition company based in Round Rock, which is just north of Austin, founded about 10 years ago by a guy named Nick Bear, B-A-R-E, um, who, who kind of built this through building his own kind of like YouTube channel, just documenting everything about his life from, you know, during his, his time in the military to post-military trying to grow the business and has really grown a massive following of people and the, and the business has sort of grown in lockstep with his, his social following. Um, and so it's a, it's a really cool brand, you know, great, great culture, great community. We have a ton of, you know, loyal customers, like, you know, a significant number of customers that purchase for the first time end up staying and kind of like buying into the, the, the ethos here. Um, and so I, I met Nick, um, through Jeff Cunningham. He showed up at my running group. Um, I guess it was like maybe two or three years ago now i kind of get all those dates mixed up in my mind um but he just showed up one day um and for those that don't know nick's probably like six foot six one you know 205 pounds and absolutely jacked like the guy is like he's a big guy and so when he shows up at like a running group i like everyone else was like what the heck is this meathead doing at this running group thinking he can like train for a sub three because that's what he was (laughs) coming on board with jeff to do um, and I very quickly learned there was a lot more to Nick than met the eye. Um, I sort of understood what he was trying to do. I started to talk to him about the business, um, about BPN. We were running together, so we had you know time to kill. And the more that he kind of told me about the business and his journey, the more I, I I grew to respect you know what he was trying to do, and maybe more importantly, where what he had accomplished 
thus far. So we kind of struck up a relationship from that standpoint. It was sort of a, uh, I think it was a mutual respect. I think he kind of, you know, appreciated what I did on the finance and kind of, you know, uh, transaction advisory side and, and, you know, mutually a founder, especially a successful founder is a very, very rare um, title to have. Um, and at the same time, I was I was invested in another uh, supplement company in Austin called Onnit, um, and so I was I was invested in Onnit and kind of seeing what was happening there. That's the one that Joe Rogan um, is heavily involved in, and they they sold about a year and a half ago. Um, so I kind of learned that business through Onnit, and at the same time was meeting Nick. So it was very fortuitous in that way. Um, and we kind of talked about you know raising some money for BPN, and then ultimately he kind of asked me to come in and you know, take on an operating role as a CFO at BPN, which was, you know, it, it's just been, I, I, I founded my advisory company about six, seven years ago and kind of dreamt about or was hoping that an opportunity like this would come along. And, and BPN is the one for me that I've been kind of waiting for. So now I'm all in. Um, I, in terms of what I learned, you know, Nick is a fantastic leader. And I think he's a great example of just, you know, this whole theme throughout this podcast of just staying with it and staying committed um, and doing the things that people don't notice because it's taken him 10 years to get here. And the guy still hasn't really like cashed out in a meaningful way. He continues to reinvest in the business and continue to build it because he's just that committed to it. And so seeing that firsthand kind of just reinforces my view on, on you know, um, being committed. And, and he's a fantastic leader. Um, you know, if anything, kind of watching him and how he interacts with his people, I've certainly learned, you know, um, different leadership, you know, tactics from him. Um, you know, so it's, it's been a, it's been a fantastic, you know, journey and the people here are, are, are great. Um, you know, um, and I, I, I certainly hope to be and, and kind of see myself being a, a, a good, you know, a big piece of the puzzle moving forward. Um, but it's been a fun ride so far for sure. Yeah, so diving deeper into the subject of Nick Bear, not that this is the Nick Bear podcast, this is the Josh Hawley podcast, but I am curious to hear, because I feel like the guy has a big stigma around him, he's this massive social media following, so I think it'd be cool to hear from someone who knows him um, personally, what lessons have you learned from working with him, and what are some misconceptions you think people have about him or the business in general? He is a very good... um example of kind of what I hit on earlier of like he has every reason to um, think that he has it all figured out and 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 not listen to people and he couldn't be further from that the guy has been so incredibly successful and yet he's so open and willing and hungry to learn more you know when I came in he was very quick to say look I don't I I, w- I want to learn you know more about the finance side like I want to I, I know I've got a lot to learn there like you know, I need your help with that. And so for someone that successful to, to say that, um, to say, I need the help and I, and I want to learn, I think that's, that's very rare. Um, and I, I think a misconception of him is that, you know, it, it's all sort of for show, like he, he may like show up at the office for 10 minutes and film a video pretending to be the CEO. And then he goes home. Um, he, he is here every day, absolutely grinding on the business. Um, and, and also I think a lot of people would, would look at him and say, oh, it's easy to be that fit when that's your job. Like he has a job, which is the CEO and founder of, of BPN. And it is more than a full-time job. It's an around the clock job where he's got 40 plus employees that he's ultimately obligated for. And yet he finds a way to be that fit and stay that fit. That is all extracurricular activity to, 
his day job. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions is like, he's just in here like lifting weights all day. And then he goes home. Like, again, he deserves all the credit in the world from a business standpoint and what he's been able to accomplish at, at BPN. So a few more questions before you, before I let you go. Of course, BPN is this remarkably successful company. As you were saying, they just celebrated their 10 year anniversary, I believe. And you, of course, in your, um, status as a financial guy. You've also worked with other companies. So I'm curious to hear uh, from your experience, what are the biggest things you think that contribute to a successful company? I think culture is huge. Um, You know, and again, Nick deserves all the credit in the world for building this culture in the way that he has. Um, And I think authenticity, like it's, it's somewhat easy. Like if you have the right skill set, you could go raise money and you could start a business and you could pretend to be a sports nutrition company that, you know, cares about its customers and that will take you so far. But if there's not like a, a, a person behind the curtain um, and an authentic individual and a, and a DNA to the business, I think you can only go so far. And so like when I look at businesses that I want to get involved with or invest in like that DNA and that culture, it's the part of the, like, if you're thinking about investing in a business, it's the part you can't really measure. Like I can go measure numbers all day long and I can, what we call underwrite, or, you know, kind of look into a business and the, the financial health, that's all objective. But the subjective side, I think, is what separates a lot of businesses. And it starts with the founder. And can that cultural rip, culture ripple down from the founder all the way to, you know, um, in a traditional org chart, the folks at the bottom of the org chart, and he's found a way to do that. And, you know, businesses that can, you know, where everyone at this company is like all in and totally committed to the mission, that is unique. Um, and it's hard to find. And I think that's ultimately what separates, you know, BPN from other companies. I'm not acting like we're better than other, you know, sports nutrition companies. We're different in, in some respects, but I think that's like a unique aspect to BPN. So what lessons have you learned from business that you think apply to running as well or vice versa? It takes time. There's no instant gratification. I know we keep hitting that, but like, I think in the business world, like, you know, I, I think maybe to give you more of a specific one on, on the business side, like um, I think the relationships you form are probably like the most valuable asset that you can sort of collect, um, especially early in your career, um, even more so than like making the right investment in like a stock, you know, early on. I think finding those right relationships and sort of banking them because a lot of relationships like Jeff Cunningham and running like that was a relationship I formed years ago. And I get to reap the rewards of a 250 marathon because I stuck with him. I think in business too, like if you meet someone today, um, the more people you can meet today, don't expect that relationship to pay off in a day or a week. It may be three, four, five years down the road. Like some of the best, some of the most supportive people in my professional network today I met years and years ago. Um, And so I, I think from like a growing your career and growing a business standpoint, like harnessing those relationships and taking care of them and protecting your reputation are, you know, incredibly important. So, of course, this is a running podcast, so I am curious to hear about this. What goals do you have for the future in running? I know you said you're on a little bit of a hiatus and certainly deserved with your newborn son. So I'm curious to hear, just looking down the road, what things excite you? What goals excite you to chase after them in the future? Sub 80 and a half and sub 250 in the full are still escaping me. Um, so sub 80 and a half will be the next goal for sure. I don't know when I can kind of dive back into the right training block, but that would be like the next big thing. And then I would hopefully use that to catapult towards sub 250. Um, my 
my half marathon time is 12017. So like I came close but didn't quite crack it. And then full was like 250, you know, 45 or something like that. So just missed that one. So those are still out there. And I'm not gonna, you know, feel satisfied until I go I go crack those two thresholds. That's great. I love the attitude. So not to start any beef here, Josh, as we're wrapping up, but I am curious to hear the answer on a perfectly pancake flat course, perfect conditions. Who do you think wins in a marathon, you or Nick? He has the faster time than me today, which is so frustrating. I mean, he ran 247 um, in Buffalo like a month after I ran Boston. So Boston is a tougher course. That's what that's what um, that's what I, went through my head when I asked it. Is yeah, definitely different courses and situations. Yeah, Boston's a tougher course, but I think if you paired his his peak kind of running fitness to mine over the last like six months, he probably takes me by, you know. 30 seconds, you know, or so I think it would be very, very close, but, uh, because he cuts my paycheck, I would, I'll give him the nod by 30 (laughs) seconds. There you go. Um, and one final question, one final serious question, uh, as I'm sure you've come to realize through talking with me, probably the vast majority of our audience, of course, it depends on the episode and who the guest is, but the vast majority of our audience is high school, college, or certainly under the age of 25 or 30. So generally a predominantly younger audience. So I'm curious, the floor is yours. What is advice you would give to a younger person who is striving to chase after their goals? I think the fact that they're listening to this podcast shows they're the type of person that is setting goals in their life and and trying to achieve them and become a better version of of themselves. So what is some advice for those people listening yeah especially if they've stuck with it this long in this episode then then I, I think that's true um again like be patient there is no instant gratification in, in your career successes and you've got to start doing things as soon as possible again that that others that, that are either not required of you or others are not willing to do um, and the sooner you start, I promise it will pay dividends. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be like a huge time commitment, but just set aside that time to start separating yourselves. There's no black and white path. Like I think the the, the trap that a lot of young people fall into is like, oh, there's this really rigid path to success and I got to go to college and I got to get this job out of college so that I can get the next job and, and like this really black and white path. Like I learned the hard way that there are so many different routes to success. There is not one predetermined route. So if you are on a trajectory or you end up on a trajectory that you didn't originally intend to be on, that is absolutely okay. There are so many different ways to go about it and everyone takes a different route and everyone has their different like points in their career path where they sort of reach that next plateau. So just stay patient. If you're on a course that's different, totally okay. In fact, that's probably better for you. Um, Things are not going to go perfectly according to plan as you embark on your career and just embrace that and, and recognize that it just going to separate you and, 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 and it is what it is and just take advantage of whatever path that, you know, opens up for you. Josh, this conversation has been a super awesome and insightful one, but to top off the episode, let's go through the rapid fire questions also known as the going to the wall segment, just five quick, more fun questions. So Josh, are you ready for these five questions? I hope so. Okay. Number one, favorite piece of running gear or technology? Uh, Man, my Garmin watch, the Forerunner is like my go-to, right? I can't live without that thing. Number two, what book has had an impact on your life? I would say The Big Short. It's a very finance-centric book, but it's it's very much, in, you know, it, it captures like when I graduated into uh, the last financial crisis, it was crazy. And that book sort of like just resonates with me because it's just such an interesting time in my career. Okay, number, th- number three, if you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? 
I can't get enough pizza, man. I'm a pizza junkie. <laughs> what What are the? What, I know this is another question, but branching off of that, what are the things that need to go on your pizza? Like the essentials. I'm a, like a meat lovers guy, so just like you know, the more meat, the better. Okay, number four. Do you think there are more doors or wheels in the world? Yeah, I. Interesting question. I mean, I I, I feel like everything that. Um, has wheels also has doors like most cars most automobiles also have doors so those sort of like offset each other then you have all the houses and buildings i have to go doors if i really kind of thought about that but i'm probably wrong i see in discussion of this question and seeing it elsewhere and thinking of it personally it's just i think it's a trick question and i honestly think it's unquantifiable to figure out which one has more because of the things you're saying a lot of yeah, doors have wheels. Um, so yeah, it is a very interesting question, but I feel like it's more of a trick question than an actual question that you can answer. Probably. So, okay, my one final question that I ask every single guest on every single episode, it's a, maybe the most important question you'll ever be asked. It is, if you had Gordon Ramsay coming over for dinner, what would you choose to make for him? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm a horrible cook. Um, so I would probably, there, there's these like, pre-marinated pre-cooked fajitas you can buy in austin called called comal fajitas you just kind of like warm up the meat and then it has all the sides and fixing so i would like throw that together i'd throw some salsa and tortillas out and like this you know pre-marinated pre-cooked like fajita meat uh and pretend i made it um and see if i could get away with that but i don't feel confident making anything beyond that <laughs> well josh this conversation as i said a minute ago has been a super fun one it's been awesome to hear your story and and uh thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom to our listeners i certainly took away things from this conversation i certainly hope and i'm sure know that those who listened and made it this far took things away as well so josh we'll have to run this back another time because i could talk to you about a million other subjects but thank you so much for coming on on the show today. It was a pleasure getting to talk to you. Yeah, Dom, thanks for having me too. And keep, keep doing what you're doing, man. I'm super impressed. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Running Effect. If you liked it, I would greatly appreciate it if you share with your friends, subscribe to the show, and give us a five-star review on Spotify. That way, people who haven't discovered the show can discover the show more easily. Another way you can help the show is to support the people who support us. Currently, this podcast is sponsored by Liquid IV and Stoke Performance Nut Butter. I would greatly appreciate it if you guys support those organizations and use our discount code, which is, quote, the running effect in all caps. We get a small commission from all sales using that code, so you are directly contributing to the future of the podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram. My username is the running effect, and we also have a Strava club, and I believe our username slash club name is called the running effect or the running effect podcast. One of those I'm sure will come up. So I hope you all enjoyed this week's episode. I hope to catch you all in next week's episode. So until then, happy running.